to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, this is, uh, I think everybody, we all kind of know this passage very well. Um, and I'll read it to you guys, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the ex- excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, last week, I preached on joy from Romans 8, about the kind of joy that is available to us uh, in Christ Jesus. It's a joy that is above our circumstances. Right? The world sees joy as if our circumstances are right, then we have joy. But if they're wrong, then we feel all bummed out, we get depressed. Um, but we have, we have access to a joy that is above circumstances. What, despite what's happening in our lives, God, God gives us a joy. Uh, and when, we're truly, like we, when we truly understand that all of the good and all of the bad that's happening in our lives, God is working it all out for his version of good for us. Right? We have to understand that, that the good that God is producing in our lives is not like our understanding of good, but it's his understanding of good. It's what he deems good for us. Um, and if we have that, we're able to have this joy that is above circumstances. We transcend circumstances, right? Um, and, it, and this requires faith. It requires us not being about what we want or what we think we want or what we think is good in our lives. But when our lives are grounded on what God's will is for us and what he deems good, we have a joy that carries us through the struggles, through the trials, through the suffering that we see in our lives. Now, I've said this before, but it's we feel like we want God to put out fires for us, right? When this happens, like, God, put this out, right? But then God is not about putting out fires, but he's always about walking us through the fire. He doesn't want to, like, keep us from experiencing certain things. He doesn't want to put out certain fires for us, but he wants to walk us through the fire. The Bible tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it also works the other way around. It's impossible for us to be pleased by God without faith. You guys understand that? We might be able to enjoy life the way that we want it to be, but if we want to have enjoyment the way that God wants us to have in the fullness of the life that he wants us to have, we have to trust him and live our lives based on his will and his understanding for our lives. And I talked about it last week. One of the keys in living a life like with this kind of joy and this kind of like Faith is to live a life of calling, to live a life being called by God. When we look at the people of God throughout the Bible, all of the people that God used mightily in Scripture, they all answered the call of God. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, to Joseph, Samuel, to David, Esther, to Ruth, Elijah, to Elisha, all of the prophets, all of the apostles, Paul, Barnabas, you know, everybody, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, lived a life of calling. He was called. And, and what carried him through, through his ministry and when, what actually carried him you know, through to the cross and, and being crucified was the call of God that was upon his life. Living a life of calling and one without calling is the difference between information and meaning. Let me explain this. It's like knowing how to swim... And actually jumping into the ocean and swimming for yourself. 
It's like knowing what what goes into good pho. I, I was really hungry when I wrote this. I was uh, almost it was really cold and I was hungry. It's like knowing I know how to make good pho, right? I make really good pho. So it's like knowing what goes into good pho and then actually making it and eating it on a on a cold winter winter night. I said this a while, last week, but Mina and I can teach our boys all about God. We can. We can read them the Bible. We can we can tell tell them what it's what it's like to live a godly life, but it's just going to be information for them until they hear the call of God for themselves, and they feel that stirring in their heart. Holy Spirit comes and stirs in their hearts, and and they're able to experience the power of God at work in their lives as they answer the call of God, then they start to be transformed by it. I can't like, I can't give that to my kids. Right? They have to experience that for themselves. It's the calling. All through my younger years, I just went to church all my life. And I was like in middle school, then went into high school. I would go to church because my family comes from a Christian home. And, and then my parents, even my, though my dad's not a Christian, my mom was like, you have to go to church. And so I would always go to church. I went to church because I thought it was supposed to is the right thing to do. But it wasn't until I felt that stirring in my heart and God called me. And I, I was like, God, this is grace. This is what it is to have, have grace and receive grace and receive, you know, Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Until I answered that call, right, it was all just information. It was meaningless until I actually answered that call for myself. And for our lives to truly have meaning in this life, for us to find meaning in the world that we're living in, we have to hear and answer God's call for our life. Uh, if you think money and prestige is gonna is gonna you know give you meaning in your life, you're mistaken. If you think that car or the house or that you know you see those people riding around that twenty thousand dollar electric surfboard, I like I see it on my Instagram sometimes. I'm like, dang, I want that. I see that it is amazing. I don't know if you guys seen it, but it's amazing. They have it. So well, there's a guy that rides it out there. And I look at him and like, oh man, that would satisfy my soul, you know. <laughs> But none of that can actually bring meaning into your life. If you think marriage and kids are going to bring meaning into your life, you're mistaken. I know plenty of, of married people with a bunch of kids that have no idea what they're doing. Plenty of married men stepping out on their wives to try to find meaning in their lives. They turn a certain age and they start looking a certain way and they're like, oh, I need to, I need to find meaning in my life, right? Plenty of parents trying to control their kids to try to find meaning in their lives, ending up with children that don't want anything to do with them. You have to be a doctor. If you become a doctor, it will bring meaning into my life. Right? I'm really glad my parents weren't like that. My parents were like too busy to be like that. They're like, my parents just work so hard. It's like just go and do whatever, be whatever. Just, just you know, make sure that you know you don't do stupid stuff. And I, I did stupid stuff, right? Making all of the money, rich people making all that money, that more than they can spend in their lifetime and still find life meaningless. Right? Things of this world may seem meaningful for a while, you know, but man-made things sparkle for a while, but true light only comes from God. Like man-made things can reflect, you know, they can sparkle, shiny. They can reflect light, but only true light comes from God. In the end, everything on this world will fade us. It will fail us. But God, he tells us that he will satisfy us with good. Only he can bring that true meaning into our life. Isn't that what the world is looking for? They're looking for meaning. 
They're trying to find meaning in this life, in this world. You know, all the self-help books and all of the schooling that they go to and all of the careers and the jobs and the marriage and owning your home and, you know, having that retirement plan, the 401k, the Roth IRAs in Korea is like the pension plan and, you know, like owning your home and doing all this thing. They feel like, like if, I, if I can accomplish this, if I can get here, I will have meaning in my life. But for us believers of Christ Jesus, none of that can bring any kind of true meaning into us. But our meaning, our significance, our satisfaction can only come from the call of God on our lives. When God calls us and says, like, hey, I'm calling you out of the darkness and into this marvelous light, this revelation, this truth for your life, only that can bring true meaning into us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that knew us before the the creation and the foundation of the world. He's the one that knew us even before we were formed inside of our mother's wombs. And only he can give us the life that he has designed specifically for us. And it comes from his calling. He calls us, each and every one of us. He calls us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. That word light in the Greek is foes. Sounds like pho. And it means light, like the light that shines from a lamp. But the metaphorical meaning behind it, it means truth. It means knowledge. It means understanding. It means reason. The light that God brings us into gives us reason, gives us meaning. He calls us out of the darkness and the futility of this world, and he brings us into his light, his truth, his understanding, and his meaning. Everything in this world, at the end of the day, no matter how you see it, at, at, at the end, it's meaningless. And, and, and when I was young, the cooler you are, the more meaningless everything was, remember? And somebody would be like, oh, that's so cool. And you'd be like, yeah, it's all right. No? But then, like, as you live your life and as you get older and as you guys start to, you realize a lot of, most of the things of this world that people are going after is actually very meaningless. And, and the meaning, the true meaning that we can find and realize for ourselves is when we are able to answer the call of God that he has for us. It's like a thoroughbred. Have you ever who's heard of a thoroughbred, right? A thoroughbred horse, they're considered the fastest horses in the world, right? They've been selectively bred for centuries, right? hundreds of years, to be the most agile, streamlined, and the, and the fastest horses in the world. And if you look at all of the horse races throughout, you know, like the world, they're all thoroughbreds, right? And they were designed for racing. They were designed to go fast. And it's like a thoroughbred horse being used to pull a cart. It's like a thoroughbred horse being used to plow a field. When it's calling, its specific design is for it to go fast, for it to be, to race, to to, he's designed so that he can go as fast as he could and beat all the other horses. And we as, as children of God, we've been called by God, designed by God to follow his calling. But many of us, we end up following and going down the path of like looking at our own understanding. What we think, this is like, oh, God, I think you want this for me. And you know what? You can have a good life following your own understanding. You can enjoy the things of this world. You can have that career that you want. You can own that house. You can get married. You can have kids. You can go on those vacations. You can have that nest egg. You can live that luxury life. 
in your golden years. And these things are not bad. I'm not here to say, like, no, God wants to keep you from all this. These things are not bad. He doesn't want you to, like, not experience these things. But you're not going to know what God deems good for your life if you go down the path of your own understanding. If you're not answering his call for your life. People think that when they answer the call for their life, God's call for their life, they're like, I'm going to be poor. Like, when they think, like, if I answer God's call for my life, God wants me to be poor. God wants me to give away everything that I own. He doesn't want me to experience, like, you know, iPhones and, you know, like, he doesn't want me to experience nice, like, Nike kicks, like, Wheezies. And, you know, like, like, God wants me to be poor. He wants me to be a monk. No. God wants to give you everything, right? He wants you to experience the life that he has planned for you. It's just not, may not be the same as what you think. And most likely will not be. A lot of people, like, they're like, I want my life to be an adventure, right? And you know what? Christianity can be seen as an adventure, you know, in a certain way. But I have a different word to describe the life that God is calling you into, and it's that of a quest. I love Tim Keller. I was listening to one of his sermons, and he describes, he loves the Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien. He talks about it all the time. And he he talks about how uh, the Lord of the Rings... Like, people start reading The Lord of the Rings, and they get discouraged because they start with The Hobbit, right? You know the book, The Hobbit, right? But he says that The Hobbit is, an, is, is a children's book. It's an adventure book, right? And, and he says that, you know, the difference between an adventure and a, and a quest is that in an adventure, someone goes out, they accomplish something, and they come back, right? They'll go out, they'll slay a dragon, and then they'll come back. And no real change happens to the adventurer. But he says that the difference between the Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings series is that the Lord of the Rings series is a, is a quest. You're called to go on this epic quest, and the main characters are radically changed by this quest. Frodo is not the same, like, fun-loving, you know, Hobbit. You get, I don't know if you guys know the Lord of the Rings. It's one of my favorite books and movies, right? But... Frodo doesn't, doesn't like, like when he comes back at the end of this quest, he's not that, you know, that, that same hobbit that like is living in the shower, enjoying life. He radically changes. He's completely transformed. He's so changed that he can't go back to the shire. And you guys know about, uh, you know, the, that guy, uh, Aragorn, right? Uh, Viggo Mortensen, he, he plays him, right? Aragorn, they call him Strider. He's just a warrior. He's this guy that's really good with the sword. But at the end of this quest, at the end of this amazing epic quest that he goes on, he comes back as the king. And it's in that transformation, it's in that learning, it's in that changing that 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 a, a quest is different from just an adventure. And what God has for us in his calling is a quest. He calls us on this quest And he wants us to experience things. He wants us to experience good things. And he wants us to be challenged by bad things. And he wants us to live a life where we don't just come back. We are transformed. And meaning comes from that transformation. A lot of us, we see God's calling as something that we will do. And yes, it it involves that. But it's so much more. God's calling isn't just about us doing something. A job, a career. God's calling us for us to be, to become someone. And it involves transformation. His call is about us being. That no matter what we're doing, and no matter where we're doing it, 
right? We're still walking in his calling. We can be who he wants us to be when we answer his call for our lives. And we see our callings as function, but he wants to focus on our form. We say, God made me into this sword. I'm a sword. My calling is that I be a sword. But God wants us to know that we're not just a sword, but we're made with the finest steel and the perfect combination of carbon, steel, and alloy to make the strongest and the sharpest sword in the world. That's, that's the difference between the way that we see our calling. We all see our calling as function. God wants me to function in this way. God wants me to be, do, be doing this. No, He wants you to be that person that's doing that. He wants you to be the man of character, the woman of character doing that. It has less to do with what you do and more to do with the person that you're becoming. If calling was just to be a, something that we're to do, he could have just told us. He could just tell us, I want you to go and do this thing. I want you to become a missionary. I want you to become a, a worst stay-at-home mom. I want you to become a, a, you know, a teacher. I want you to become a doctor or a lawyer. He could have just told us. I want you to be a pastor. But his calling has less to do with what we do, but the kind of person that is doing those things, and it involves us answering his call, obeying his words, and experiencing the things that he wants us to experience. It's a process. So that what is forged in the end is a person that he has meant for us to be. Even before the creation of the world, even before we were formed in our mother's womb, right? He has called us to be this person, and we can become that person as we continue to follow the call, his calling for our lives. We find our meaning for our lives when we discover what he has meant for us to be. It's sanctification. And let me, I want to tell you that sanctification isn't the same for everybody. No one gets sanctified the same way. You can't expect my sanctification to be the same as your sanctification. That's not, no, it's not fun. If if we're all going to have to experience the same thing for us to all be sanctified, that would not be fun. But God has a distinctive plan that's specifically for us to sanctify each and every one of us, to change us, transform us, and it comes out of the calling that he has for our lives. That's That's a quest. He's like, hey, I want you to go on this quest so you can be the person that you want me to be. But then it's, it, there's a journey involved. There's a process, right? And so how? How do we hear God's call for our lives? And we're, we all answer this, we all ask these questions. And we have to first tackle how we see God's calling, right? There are different ways we have to see God's calling. God's calling first started when you answered the call of salvation. When you, when you didn't know God, same with me. I didn't know Jesus. I, you know, for like like nine, eight years, I would say like, you know, uh, nine years of my life, I knew about Jesus. I knew what it was to, you know, I would go to all those VBS retreats and accept Jesus Christ into my heart because somebody told me that I had to do it. You know, and I, I, would, I would, you know, like memorize the Bible verses that made me memorize. I still know them to this day, right? I still have some of those Bible verses memorized. It was all just head knowledge, but it wasn't until... Like, you know, in high school when God actually really encountered me in this way, in this powerful way that 
that I actually had this relationship and I answered God's call for my life. And you all answered the, God, the call of God for your life when you became saved. When you said, Jesus Christ, I want you, you to come inside my heart. I want you to lead my life. Right? And so that's the beginning of your calling. And we have to tackle the notion that God's calling is only just a call for you to do something in your life. God called me to full-time ministry. God, God's calling me to seminary. God's calling me to the business world. God's calling me to be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer. That's not what your calling is all about. That could, it could include that. It could very well include you doing those things, but that's not the calling of God that he has for your life. He could be calling you to those things, but it just doesn't end there. And that's how we get people that feel called to go to seminary, and then they go through seminary, and they come out all disillusioned, and be like, ah, I don't want to be a pastor. And they end up like renouncing their faith. God's calling is less about function, and it's all about relationship. His calling is about connection with him. He calls us to a life that is constantly being challenged and shaped and formed by him. That's what he calls us to. People want to know what God is, God's calling is for their lives, and they want direction. They want a destination. They want to know what, where, and how. Like, God, give me the plans. Give me the schematics, right? But God doesn't work like that. If we read the Bible, we, we, all, all the stories that we read in the Bible, God never worked like that. We see it in Abraham, and I talked about this last week. God calls him out of where he's living with his family. They're all like idolaters, and God's like, Abraham, I want you to go. And he's like, where? He's like, I will tell you later. And he's like, you know, and then God says, you know what? I'm going to make you into a, a father of nations. You know, your, your offspring are going to be like the dust and the earth and the, the, the stars in the sky. And he's like, how? And he's like, I'll tell you later. And, and then, he's, then God says, you know, I want you to take the son that I gave you. A son that you had in your in, in the late years of your life, your only son, and I want you to take him on top of this mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And he's like, Why? And he's like, I'll tell you later. God is not about giving us the whole picture, but it's also it's about he him being with us in the journey throughout every everything of obedience that he calls us to. And here's the number one key in hearing and answering God's call for your life is obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. There is no way around this. There's no way around, like, there's no life hack to, like, get around obedience, right? When you have a heart of obedience to God, you're able to hear and discover the call of God for your life. You have to foster a heart of obedience. Abraham walked in God's call for his life, and it came from obedience. Every moment, every time God challenged him, he obeyed. And we see this in all of this, the significant people that we see in the Bible. I want to mention one is Gideon. I love Gideon. He's one of my, my I love the character that is Gideon. He's, he's, this, he's just like, he's just like almost like this wimp that's like, he's hiding from the meeting. He's in a wine press. He's threshing wheat that he can eat. Because every time, you know, they gather wheat and they thresh, the Midianites will come and the Amalekites will come and they'll steal us. And he's like hiding into his wine press. He's threshing wheat. He's like, he's like, oh man, I, I sure am hungry, right? You know, I wish I could eat this wheat, right? And then the angel of the Lord comes to him. He's like, Gideon, I want you to go and defeat the, the, the Midianites. And then and Gideon's like, how? Like, like he's like, he, in the Bible, he says, pardon me, Lord. He says that. 
Like, how am I going to do Like, what am I going to do? And he's like, oh, no. I'm going to show you the way. I want you to, uh, he's like, I'm the, I'm the, I come from the weakest clan of Manasseh, and I'm like, like, we're like the smallest clan. How do you expect us to do this? And God says, I'm going to show you. And we see this obedience in Gideon's heart. He conquers that fear. He's in there freaked out, like, oh, man, they're going to steal my wheat. And then all of a sudden, he's gathering men. And he gathers all these men to, to fight for the Lord. And, and then and he has, like, about 30,000 men gathered. And then what happens? He's like, God's like, you know what, Gideon, you have too much, too many men. And he's like, you know, I want you to, like, like send home everybody that is shaking in fear right now. And then 29,000 men, no, 22,000 men, they dip out. And they're left with 10,000 men. And then God says again, you know what? He's like, you know, I think you also, you have too many men. I want you to take all the men down to the water. And I want you to see how they drink the water. If they take it and they lap it up in their hands like dogs, right? That's one side. And if they kneel down and they drink from the, from the water, that's another side. And then 300 men, right, like take the water and they lap it up like dogs. And, I, and then this is me. If I was getting, I'd be like, all right, God. I'm going to kick those 300 out because they're acting like savages, you know. I'm going to kick them out, and I'm going to take this uh, uh, 9,700 men, and we're going to go and fight the, the Midianites. But then God says, no, I want you to take the 300. And with these 300, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you defeat the Midianites. And then what does he do? He obeys. He obeys. In his obedience, he hears and he answers the call of God for his life. He had a heart of obedience. Like, like if God told me that, I would be like, God, like I'm going to teach you. Can I, can I show you what strategy is? Like, greater is better. <laughs> like, more men equals victory, right? Like, I would, like, try to show him, right? Because the Midianites is described in the Bible as being, like, sands on the seashore. There was, like, they were uncounted, like, Innumerable. There were, you couldn't count them because there were so many of them. And yet, what does Gideon do? He obeys. He obeys. Now, Jonah is another person I love. He literally would rather die than follow God's call for his life. Right? And he does. He, like, takes off on this boat, goes the other way, and then the storm comes, and he's like, oh, man, this is because of me. Throw me in the water. Just kill me. Right? Just throw me in the water. Right? Because I'd rather die, literally. And then follow God's call for his life. But then what does God do? In his, in his grace and his faithfulness, he has this big old fish come and gobble him up. And then he spits him out. And then he gives him an opportunity to answer God's call for his life. And he obeys. And in his obedience, God's will is fulfilled. And he's actually able to walk out the calling that he had for his life. The key is obedience. It's about having a heart of obedience to the Lord. Now, you might be asking the question, well, how do I hear God so that I can obey? I think this is the one question that many young people ask. How do I hear God's calling for my life so that I can obey it, right? Like, what am I, like, like what can I do to actually hear the directions that God has for me so I can hear those directions? And then the first point I want to make today is be obedient in the mundane, everyday moments of your life. This is, this is, I would say this is one of the most important aspects of obedience. 
People think that they will hear this one call. You shall go and do this one thing, and then you will bring glory to my name, and all of the good things will happen, and you will do this one great thing, and you, you're called to, and you will bring glory to me. They think it that way. They're like, I want to hear this one great call in my life, and I want to answer and obey that call. But you see, God is looking for your obedience in the little everyday moments of your life. We see this play out in the parable of the tenants and the miners. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Like young people, they're like, I want to do this grand gesture for God. I want to do this mighty thing, and I want to conquer the world for God. And then you're like, what about the everyday moments where you're supposed to obey God? Like, you know. The, the, that time that that guy like cut you off in traffic and you're, you're like, eh, ah, there's a finger somewhere in here, right? <laughs> that moment where you know that that coworker in your work is just like, you know, you're supposed to show her her or him grace, but you're just like, ah, and you gossip about them. You know? It's in the everyday moments of our lives, the mundane moments of our lives, where we have to find our obedience. It involves you being obedient in the everyday, Monday moments of your life. How you treat your coworkers, how you treat your wives, how you treat, you know, being honest in the everyday moments, being loving when you drive. I find that very difficult sometimes. Being generous, tithing and offering. This is a great example of tithing. Right? Some people think, I'll tithe after I make this much amount of money for the Lord. But then God He tells us about Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. And I'm going to preach on this someday about tithing soon. But if you have a heart that wants to bring glory to God by creating wealth for the kingdom of God, you have to learn to tithe now. Because if it's hard for you to tithe when you're making this much, it's going to be that much harder when you're making all this money. It's going to be that much generous. If you can't be generous in the little things, you can't be generous in the big things. If you're not faithful in the little mundane moments of your life where God is saying, hey, do this. And you know he's saying do this. But you're like, nah. I'm waiting for that big call, God. I'm waiting for that. Will you send me out? You're not going to be able to hear that if you're not obeying in the little mundane moments of your life. This is a promise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. God is, is not looking just for obedience, but an obedient heart. A heart that obeys when it doesn't seem like it matters much. A heart that obeys when no one is looking. A heart that obeys that, like, that even though you know, it may not seem that big, you're still in that place of obedience. Because it's a heart like this that is able to hear, and not just hear, but answer God's call for their lives. It's a heart like this that when God calls them to do something that would make make them feel uncomfortable, 
like, like God calls them to do something that's difficult. God calls them to something that's challenging. And they obey and they answer his call because they've been obedient in the little moments, the mundane moments of their lives. Hebrews 4, 11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. But the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, whom we must give an account. Right? And this comes down to the word of God. Right? A lot of people think that, that they can be, you know, they can he- hear God's calling. They want to hear God's calling. They want to hear God calling, like, God is calling me to this. God's calling me to that. But, but what does God say? Like, hey, I want you to be obedient in my word. They're not spending any time in the Word, any time in prayer. They just want to get that big picture. Like, I want to do that thing, right? You can't hear God's call for your life without the Word of God and prayer in your life. The Word of God is key in hearing God's call for your life. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. A lot of people, we think, you know, we think that the word of God is something that we have to do. We're just, this this is just grunt work for us. But if we look at the word of God as being the very source of his word, if we actually say, the word of God is his word, and he's directing me in this way through his word. We're going to see the word of God very differently. He speaks to us through the word of God in prayer primarily. We have to understand that God speaks to us through his word and prayer primarily. We're a church that's very prophetic. Mina is a very prophetic woman. Right? I'm a little prophetic. There's a lot of people in here. We're a, we tend to be a charismatic church. We lean towards that. We believe in the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we want you guys to discover your gifts and grow in, 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 in your gifts. And we want you to you know, be activated into your giftings. But if all you're after is a prophetic word, and you're not in the word, and you're not in prayer to hear from him, you're going after the wrong thing. The prophetic word will always come from and will be in com- confirmation of what you're hearing from God through the word and prayer. I've seen a lot of people like that. They go to all these conferences and they give me a word. And if I was the speaker, I'd be like, read your Bible. (laughs) Spend some time in prayer. The more prophetic you are, the more you have to be in his word and prayer. He says, the word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. I'm not saying that the prophetic is bad. I'm not saying, like, you know, we shouldn't go after our spiritual gifts. But it, it, the, the, the foundation has to be the Word of God. It's not, the prophetic is not fortune-telling. Right? It's not a fortune-telling booth where you stick some money in there and you get a fortune and be like, oh, this is a... The prophetic is rooted in Scripture. You don't have this prophetic without Scripture. And it's administered by the Holy Spirit. And some of us, we want to hear this prophetic voice from God about what we're to do in our lives. And God speaks that way sometimes. 
But I guarantee you, you won't hear or want to do what that word is calling you to do if you don't cultivate a life of being in the word and living a life of prayer. There is no shortcuts around this. There is no shortcuts around this. The word of God is the foundation for hearing what God is saying. A lot of people would disagree with me. But I get, I, I'm going to say it again. The word of God is the foundation in us hearing what God is saying. If you don't have the word of God, what you might think you're hearing from God is going to be off. If you don't have the word of God, even the giftings that you're operating in and the giftings that you're doing, it's going to be off. It has to be rooted in the word of God. And next, we have to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we do this through the word. We do this in prayer. We do this through worship. We do it through obedience. And we live a life where every day we acknowledge and we surrender and we yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Galatians talks about this, right? We have to yield to the Holy Spirit. The key is yielding. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That, That word walk by in the Greek can be translated as yielding, to conduct one's life according to, to regulate one's life according to. So when our flesh rises up, and when it does, when, the, when our flesh is all up there, we know that the Holy Spirit is down. Right? And when, our Holy, when the Holy Spirit is all active in our life, we know that our flesh is down. I talked about it before. It's a seesaw. Right? It's a seesaw. As Holy Spirit increases in our life, our fleshliness goes down. And as our fleshliness rises up, the, the Holy Spirit's presence, like his work in our lives goes down. Right? It, it goes like this. It, the, it, seesaws never do this, right? It's not a seesaw. This is a chicken, right? But, but we have to understand that, that we have, as we yield more to the Holy Spirit, as we yield to his leading that much more, as we allow God's leading, his words, as the Holy Spirit impresses this in our, we obey, we yield to his spirit, we know that our flesh starts to decrease. We have to yield to, to the Holy Spirit. I've been like this before in my life where I'm all in the flesh, right? There will be seasons in my life where I'm all like being fleshly. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, like, ah, I'm, a, I'm a, like, I, like, I feel like I'm all in the flesh, right? And all of a sudden, like, I tell God, like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want, like, what is the call for your, for, that you have for me in my life? And I'm all in the flesh. I'm not going to hear that calling for, for me. You know, I can't hear anything because I'm all in the flesh. Right? As that flesh increases, what we hear from the God, from the Holy Spirit decreases. I let my flesh rise up, and it dictates how I live my life. And even when I'm asking God, God, what do I do? I'm not going to be able to hear him. If you want to hear God's call for your life, we have to cultivate a relationship of being led and yielding to the Spirit of God. This is, this is a, a life thing. This is not something you do one time. It's not something that you do once in a while. But this is a life choice to yield to the leading of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5 talks about this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have to cultivate this, this relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to acknowledge Him. 
want to know that when he's speaking, you know that when I hear your still small voice, that still small voice, when the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you should do this. Hey, you should respond this way. Hey, you shouldn't react, but you should, you, should, you know, like, hey, like, I think you should give this way. Hey, I think, and as we start to yield to his leading more in our life, we're going to start to hear more from the Holy Spirit. He's going to be telling you bigger things. You're going to be like, hey, have you thought about this in your life? Hey, have you thought about this direction in your life? He's not going to force you to do anything. Holy Spirit never forces anything. He leads and he guides, right? But it's not going to happen when we're all like wallowing in our flesh, when we're just allowing the flesh to just do whatever we want with our lives. And then we go to God, we're like, God, give me direction. And you know what directions you're going to get? You're going to get the directions of your flesh. And the directions of our flesh and the directions of God can actually seem very similar. It can all lead towards good things. It can be like, hey, I, my, you know, you're all in your flesh. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to go and help people. I'm going to do this. You might follow that path. But then you, you might end up with good, but you're not going to end up with God. It's a great book by John Bevere. It says, good or God. Right? Do you want good in your life or do you want God in your life? Do you want the, 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 the things that God has planned for your life? And it comes from us being in tune and in, in, in walking in light with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to close with this today. I want to talk about, and I talked this about this in my sermon, but I want to reiterate this because I believe that is very important. But be mindful of the fact that God's calling for you is not so much what God wants you to do, but how you want you to be character transformation It's about the journey. It's about the quest. God has you on a process, and his his call for your life is the process. We have to see it this way. We have to stop looking at God as as, as a function for us. God's call for us is a function. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do that. No, it's not about function. It's about relationship. It's about being connected with him where we're able to not just hear but we, we are walking in the path and the process that he has for us. He doesn't need function because he could do anything. Right? God doesn't need like, God, man, I wish I could find this guy so that he could do this for me. He's not like me, right? I'd be like, I wish Mina was here so she could make me dinner, you know? I'm just playing. My wife is an amazing wife. And she, and she's, she's a great cook, and great mom. God doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need us for our function, right? He doesn't need us for our function. God didn't need Solomon to build the temple for him. If God really wanted a temple, he would have just built it himself. But what did Solomon ask for when God appeared to him? And like, hey, what do you want? And, God, and Solomon's like, like, I'm a young king and, and I'm going to... Like, I need your wisdom. I want wisdom in my life. And when God heard this, God was pleased. And he says, he asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for wealth. But he asked for wisdom, and God gives it to him. And not only does he give it to him, but he doesn't. He gives to him the things that he didn't ask for. He gives him long life. He gives him wealth beyond comprehension, right? And God chooses Solomon to build the temple of the Lord for him. It's like the plan that came 
But you know what? What was God more, most concerned in? Was he most concerned about this, this temple? No, he was concerned about Solomon's heart. And when he was like, dude, I want wisdom in my life that pleased the Lord. It wasn't about his function, but his character that God was concerned with. Brothers and sisters, God's calling for each and every one of us. He has a calling for each and every one of you. God is like infinite. You know, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. You know, what's the other one? Omnipotent. He has all the power. He's everywhere. Right? And he has a specific plan for each and every one of us. And he doesn't give us, you know, like, you know, like vanilla. He doesn't give everyone vanilla, right? But he has like, like, you know, chocolate Rocky Road and, you know, like Chunky Monkey. What are some of those flavors, right? Like, you know, like gooseberry bubble gum. I don't know. Like, for each and every one of us, he has a specific call for us to go on this quest where we're going to discover exactly who he wants us to be. You know, he may want you to become a doctor. He may want you to become a teacher, a pastor, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife. He may want you to become president of the United States. But he's less concerned about what you do and more about the type of person God is doing. And you will hear his call for your life as you live a life of obedience in his word and as you just continue to yield to the Holy Spirit. And he shapes and forms you to be the person that he's called you to be. I want to end with this last verse, Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. If you're in Christ Jesus, the calling that he has given you is irrevocable. This is grace. This is how amazingly graceful our God is. It means even if you mess up, even if you make wrong decisions, if you are in Christ, his calling for your life is irrevocable. That's the word of God. It means even if you may have made certain wrong decisions in the past, maybe you were living that fleshly life in the past, it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ Jesus, his calling for your life, that specific plan that he has for you is irrevocable. You can, he's never going to take it back. He's going to always be with you. So John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As we remain and abide in Jesus Christ, we're going to start to discover this calling that he has for us. It's a calling not just to be something, for us to be the man and the woman that God has called us to, even before the foundation of the world, even before all of this started. He's like, I want AJ to be this. This is, this, is, this is the AJ that I know. This is the crystal that I know. This is the Thalia that I know. And my goal isn't for him to just become this thing, but for them to go through this process where he actually shapes and forms us into the person that he wants us to be. Let's all stand up. Let's pray. Let's hold hands.